So I'm going to share a message titled, Do Not Lose Heart. It's a message that the Lord laid, laid on my heart um, the evening after uh, the tragedy that we experienced this last Sunday. Um, Nick DePlantis, Nick and Nicole DePlantis and their family have been through a tragedy. Nick passed away, for those of you who may not have heard, um, this last Sunday afternoon, around 12 or so after church, um, Nick DePlantis was in a helicopter with a pilot, and both of them crashed and passed away. And so, after, you know, I'm, after church, I'm on my way, uh, on my way home. Um, I have some things we're doing after church. I have to go pick up my daughter uh, in Thibodeau from a practice. And it's when I get the phone call. Somebody from the church called me, and... It just seemed, seemed like a whirlwind, uh, everything that unfolded after that point. And as I'm headed over there to uh, Nicole's house, you know, I really don't know what to say. I kind of shared some of these thoughts at the funeral on, on, on Thursday. I really didn't know what I was going to say and what I could say. And it was just a very, those are difficult moments to be in. And, and so really I didn't say a whole lot. And there were some people that had some questions, questions about God and questions why and just was not the moment to really talk about those things. And I said a few things at the funeral by way of trying to bring some answers. And it really wasn't a moment in the funeral to try to do that. You really, your goal is to bring comfort uh, to the family. Uh, but the, that Sunday evening, I was laying in bed at night. You know, I, w- I went to sleep and, and I just woke up in the middle of the night. It was, uh, maybe it was around one in the morning or so. And I remembered the scripture that I had read the, the previous Sunday, the Sunday that, that Nick died, and, and that's the text we're going to look at this morning, and it talks about us not losing heart, and I knew that that was the section I needed to preach on, and, and I believe that, that what happened, it was a terrible tragedy, um, but what happened as a result of the tragedy, we got to see something that was profound, and I got to witness it that Sunday afternoon when, when I was there. There was probably around 50 church members family and friends that showed up together at Nicole's house and were just there with her during that moment. And so it reminded me of what 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six says. It says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so Nicole and her family and her extended family were suffering and are suffering and will continue to suffer. And what we experienced in the midst of all of that was that as a body of Christ, when a member suffers, we all suffer with them. We suffer with them. We pray with them. We suffer as if it is our loss. We suffer as if it was our loss. And I know that Nicole's not here this morning. She is uh, at the funeral of the pilot that passed away. But I just want to say this. I know that some of her family are here. I want to say to you that we are hurting with you. We are hurting with you. We are still hurting with you. And I know that our hurt is not like your hurt, but we are hurting with you. And we, we love you. We love you and your family. Romans 12, 9 through 15 says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep 
with those who weep. This, I just wrote this here. I want to read this. It says, times like this are what the body of Christ is designed for. Amen? Times like this is what the body of Christ is designed for. And I am so proud of our church family. I am so proud of our church family and the things that, that took place and what, what church members did and how they rallied around Nicole and her kids and her family. I was so proud on Thursday to see those men that got up one after the other, friends of Nick, and shared their stories. But one thing that stood out to me was that those men all spoke to Nicole, spoke, and in particular spoke to their children, spoke to their children and, and talked about how much their daddy loved them. That's powerful. That's profound. That's what we're here for, to comfort, to bring care and concern. I'm so proud of our church family. And this type of love and unity that we have experienced this last week, it gives me hope about about our church, about the church, but about our church. Is that we have a body of believers that love one another and care for one another. And so I just want to transition here. I wanted to kind of introduce that and talk to the family, but I want to transition to some, some difficult things. You know, when we go through situations like this, there are questions. There are things that we struggle with, as, even as believers, questions why. Why did this have to happen? 38 years old, married, three kids, and, and, and we struggle to find a place to stand. And so I, I just want to kind of move forward thinking about those thoughts. You know, there are no easy answers to devastating situations like we faced over this last week. From a human perspective, an earthly perspective, if it were up to us, no one, no one would ever go through devastating loss like we just experienced. If it were up to us, no one would ever get cancer. No children would ever get cancer. No one would have to suffer and go through pain. If it were up to us, no one would be born into dysfunctional families For up to us, there would be no sickness, no pain, and no trials if we had our way. Is that not correct? Absolutely. But we know that's not our reality. I said this at the funeral. Romans 8 talks about this reality that that this world we live in is a broken world. Romans 8 talks about how the creation itself is groaning for redemption. And when you see that picture of creation itself groaning for redemption, it's a picture that, 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 that reflects are groaning as well, that we ourselves groan as well, that inwardly we know that this is not the way that it was meant to be, that, that what we see is a result of the sin of humanity, the, the fall of humanity, that our world is cursed by sin, even creation itself. This is why we have natural disasters. That's why we have earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, and things like that happen because the earth is broken. This is why we struggle with temptation and sin. This is why there's sickness and disease. This is why we die, right? This is why we die. The moment you are born is the moment you are set on the trajectory towards death. Now, we don't all know when we're going to die. We're not promised how long we're going to live. But this is why we experience pain and suffering and death, because we are living in a broken world. Romans 8 tells us that creation is groaning for redemption, and we ourselves are longing for the redemption of our bodies, The time when there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, no more sin and suffering. So this is is where we live. And it can be described as this. As believers, we live in the tension of already, but not yet. Already, but not yet. Already, we're redeemed. But not yet, 
Are we fully redeemed in the consummation? Already we are forgiven of sins, but, but one day we will not struggle with temptation and sin any longer. Already not yet describes the tension between the benefits of redemption that we've already experienced in this life and those benefits which await us at the consummation, the end of this age, when we go into eternity, into heaven with our Lord. So Christians enjoy the alreadiness of the atonement, remission of sins, adoption as children, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. However, there is a sense in which we will not see these realities in its totality until that day. That's that tension. That's that already but not yet. We, we have peace, we have joy, but, but we have sorrow and pain and suffering. It's that tension, it's that middle ground. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have been fully known. So we don't see things clearly from a human perspective. We live, we live in a fallen world. And we live with a settled dissatisfaction with life that is subjected to the curse of sin. There's just this settled dissatisfaction with this life that is cursed by sin. And all the while, we live with a settled peace in our hearts. That we're forgiven. That we have joy in our relationship with the Lord. It's that, it's that tension. It's that back and forth. It's the, those hills and those valleys of the Christian life. So that's where we live. That's our existence. That's our reality. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about four reasons from 2 Corinthians 4 with that as the foundation of our thinking and that as our understanding, I want us to look at four reasons why we do not have to lose heart. We do not have to lose heart when situations like this face us. And I know that not everyone in this room is, was touched by the death of Nick, but all of us will be touched by death and suffering. All of us will. All of us have suffered. And all of us will suffer. All of us will go through pain and difficulties in our life that we will have questions over. And so what I want to do is, is I want it to give us a biblical foundation to help us to understand how do we respond as believers in the middle of suffering? Where do we stand? What, do we, what, what can we understand that will help us to process and to not lose hope and to not lose heart? Let's look at the text, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. So... We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Lord, I need you this morning. Lord, I need your grace and your strength to communicate what you have shown me in this text. God, I pray that you would help me to speak clearly. I need your Holy Spirit to guide my words and help us all, Lord, to receive what it is that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first thing I want to tell us this morning that will help us to not lose heart is this is that we do not lose heart because our afflictions do not last forever. We do not lose heart because our afflictions do not last forever. Look what the Apostle Paul said there. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction. He calls it a momentary affliction. 
And I know that if you're like me, if you're going through a difficult season in your life, and you're going through a season of suffering and pain, doesn't it feel like that that's all that is there? There's nothing else in your life. All you see, it's like you're enveloped, you're thinking all around you, all you can see is your suffering and your pain and the situation that you're going through. That's all you feel. You feel it like a, like a heavy blanket on top of you at times. Like it's just covering you and over you. And you feel like it's never going to end. Have you ever been there? It's like a cloud. It's like a heavy cloud over you. And you, you feel and you sense. When is it going to end? When, when will the cloud lift? When will the cloud of this pain lift? And we can feel like, Lord, Lord, will this go on forever? Lord, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten that I'm your child? Have you forgotten that that I'm going through this? Do you see? Do you know? And it can feel like it's forever. But what does the Apostle Paul say? He says he calls the afflictions he went through, he called them light, and he called called them momentary. They're momentary. When when we're in the middle of difficult situations, when, when we are overwhelmed, it feels like it will last forever, and all we can see is what is directly in front of us. And I want to remind us what Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 4 says. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a, there's a season for everything. And I want to I speak specifically to the family. I want to speak sp- specifically to those who are close to Nick. I want to tell you, it's okay to mourn. There's a time for mourning. There, there's an appropriate time for you to mourn over the loss of your loved one, over, over your friend. It's a season for it, but there's also a season for joy. There's mourning, but, there's a, but, but, but joy will come. The mourning is temporary. Light will come. Light will come. Psalm 34 through 5 says this. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night. Say it with me. But joy comes with the morning. Weeping may tarry for a moment, for a season. And that season may seem long. It may seem like it's never going to go away. But our afflictions are temporary. They're momentary. And we can feel like God has forgotten where we are, but I want you to be encouraged this morning. If you're in the middle of that moment where the cloud is dark and you feel overwhelmed, be encouraged. Joy is coming in the morning. Joy is coming. Peace is coming. You will get through it. You will get through the dark season in your life. It will not be like that forever. The Lord is with you. The Lord sees and the Lord knows and he will hold you by his right hand and will not let you go. He will not let you go. Isaiah 40 says this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. That's how we feel at times. My way is hidden from the Lord and my right hand is disregarded by my God. Have, have you not known? Have you not heard? This is so good. I love this. This is so encouraging to us. We may, we may say that, Lord, my way is hidden from you and my right hand is disregarded from, by my God. He's not there to pick me up. Where is he? Just hear this. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. 
And to him who has no might, he increases strength. That's good news. To he who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen? Amen. The Lord is with us. He will sustain us. We, will, we may be weary, but we will be strengthened if we will wait on the Lord. Wait on Him patiently. Trust Him in that dark time. It's momentary. Joy is coming. Peace is coming. Strength is coming. Because God has not forgotten you. It's the first thing I wanted to remind us of that will help us to not lose heart is that our afflictions and our trials and our pain are momentary. They do not last forever. And in comparison to eternity, it's a blip on the radar. They do not last forever. The second thing I want to encourage us with is this, is that we do not lose heart because God is at work in the fire. We do not lose heart because God is at work in the fire. It says, Paul said it earlier in that verse, he says that the affliction is light and it's momentary. And look what he says here, 2 Corinthians 4, 17b, second half of verse 17, that affliction is, is doing something. That affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We do not lose heart because the affliction that we're in is doing something in us. The affliction that we're in is working in us. It's preparing. That word preparing, affliction is preparing for us. Preparing is the picture that you would use if you are a farmer or you are um, a, um, a, not a professional farmer, but a farmer like, like us. You'd be a lay farmer, right? And you go and you prepare the soil, right? Those professionals know how to pre- prepare the soil, but for us non-professionals, it's, it's kind of like we, we don't really know exactly if it's going to work, Right? You prepare the soil, you're, you're hoping something's going to happen. But I want you to know that when God prepares and does a work in you, as we read earlier in Philippians 1.6, if he's preparing and he's working, something's coming. Something's, something's at work. God is at work. So it says here that this affliction, God is using this affliction, this affliction God is using as a tool to work the soil of our heart. I don't like that as much as you do. I don't like it as much as you do. That's what the Bible says. That our afflictions, this light momentary affliction, pain and suffering in our life, prepares our hearts for what God is doing in us and through us. God has not removed himself from our suffering. He has not left us to ourselves. God is at work in our afflictions. I just want to say this. In our attempt to find someone to blame for the sufferings we experience... We often forget that God is right in the middle of everything. We look for someone to blame. You can point fingers. This is, this is what we do. We point fingers when a tragedy like this happens. We say, well, well it's his fault or it's, or it's that person's fault. Or we say it's the devil's fault. And we forget God. We forget God in all of the equation. We, we like to try to blame someone else because that helps us in answering the question as to why. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Well, it's their fault. That makes sense. It's the drunk driver's fault. That makes sense. What's the devil's fault? We can blame him for everything. But where's the peace? Where's the solid place to stand? I want to read a scripture to you that you've heard before. I want to refresh your memory. John 9. A lot of 
pointing fingers going on in John 9. Man born blind. Man born blind. Born blind. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, the disciples are just like us. We're still the same. Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man that sinned as to why he's born blind? Or was it his parents that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I don't like that as much as you do. But it's a reality. It's a truth we don't understand. We see through a glass darkly. We don't know. We don't understand. God, why, 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 why born blind? Why born crippled? crippled? Why born with disease and, and pain and suffering? I don't know. Was it his fault? Was it his parents' fault? No, it's neither. And Jesus makes a profound statement and said, it's neither. It's so that the works of God can be seen through him. It's a picture of the providence of God, of his sovereignty. Finding blame for our suffering may bring temporary relief to our questions as to why. But when we have no view of God's providential hand, when we have no view of God's work in our life, we have no solid place to stand. And I don't know about you, but in the middle of tragedy, I need somewhere to stand. I need somewhere to place my feet. I just don't want to place my feet on blame. It's that person's fault or or it's that person's fault or, or it's the devil's fault. I need somewhere to stand in and where I'm going to stand in tragedy in my life and what I encourage, where I encourage you to stand in tragedy in your life, the ones that have happened and the ones that will happen, is I want you to stand on the solid foundation of understanding that God is in the middle of it. He's right here. And we don't understand the why completely, this side of heaven. But we will know as we are known. I was talking to Pastor Matt about this earlier about these points. These are heavy points. And he, he brought up a great point. He said, how many things will we, how many times are we providentially prevented from death that we don't even know? We, we doubt God's providence on this side of a tragedy when we don't like it. But how many times does he providentially spare us when we have no clue? Highway 311, Martin Luther King. Turn left on Martin Luther King. It's a miracle you survive every day. Right? Especially with my driving skills. Finding blame for our suffering may bring temporary relief to our questions. But we have no view of his providential hands if we leave him out of the equation. We have no view of God's work in our lives and no solid place to stand. We must be reminded that God knows more than us. What can appear to be meaningless, meaningless suffering, God uses for his purposes in this life. It's what I looked at. I looked at Nicole on Thursday and her family sitting right there. And I told them, I said, I want you to know this suffering, this tragedy is not meaningless. It's not meaningless, and we don't understand it yet, but we, we will. By God's grace, maybe we will know this side of heaven as to why. You guys remember the story of Job? In the book of Job? It's a challenging story. Job lost all of his kids, lost all of his wealth, lost his health, lost everything, except for his nagging wife. God didn't take her. 
I'm sure part of Job's questioning of God was like, Lord, why? (laughs) But Job questions, and he wonders. He questions God. He never cursed God. He never sinned against God, but he questioned. Like we all question. We're human. We question. Then God says, okay, you got questions? Well, I have answers. Job 38, listen to God's answers to Job. Who is this that darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding, Job. Ben Bufkin, where were you? Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On, on what, where its base is sunk? Or, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling pad. And prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said thus far shall you come and no farther and here you shall and here shall your proud waves be stayed be stopped have you commanded the morning i love that picture have you commanded the morning since the days you began and caused the dawn to know its place i love that picture job have you have you caused the sun to go up have you ever commanded the morning since you've ever been born What's God trying to communicate to Job? Job, there's things you have no idea about. I am God and you are not. I am God and you are not. And that's the place we must rest in. You are God and I am not. I am human. I am frail. I have limited vision. So what does Job say in response to God? Job 42, I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's, that's the response. Lord, I question things I don't know. I don't understand why we suffer. I don't understand, God, why I'm going through this, but I'm going to trust you because you have knowledge more than I do, and I'm trusting your infinite knowledge, your infinite wisdom, that there's no purposes of yours that can be thwarted. The devil can't thwart a purpose of God. Darkness cannot dispel light, ever. So where do we land? Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the... Heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So we do not lose heart because we know that God is at work in the fire. He's at work. He's actively moving. We do not lose heart because we know that that affliction that God is at work in will not last forever. Will not last forever. And thirdly, as we, as we move on, we do not lose heart because our best life is not now. We do not lose heart because our best life is not now. 2 Corinthians 4.18, continuing on there, it says that, that, that this affliction that is preparing for us an exceeding weight of glory, it says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen 
this life, this world, our lives, possessions and, and, and money and career and things, these things are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. We don't lose heart because our best life is not now. And here's what I'm fearful of. That if we're not careful, we can replace Christianity with the American dream. If we're not careful, we can turn Christianity into a means to create the American dream. And what's the American dream? White, uh, a house, nice house with a, a white picket fence and, and, and beautiful kids with all smiling straight teeth and combed hair perfect and, and kids that obey and, and a nice job and, and a nice car with a boat and, and down here a, a, a hunting lease and, and all the things that you would say that you would need to have a good life. If we're not careful, we can turn Christianity and God's word into a means for us to acquire the American dream. If we're not careful, but we can't turn Christianity into something that it was never designed to be. We must not turn Christianity into a means of ensuring that this life is everything we have ever wanted. Christianity has never been, nor will it ever be, a call to embrace a system of of belief that will give you a life free of pain and suffering. And by contrast, give you a life filled with your greatest desires. Christianity has never been that, and it never will be that. And any system of belief, any preacher you listen to that tries to turn the Bible into a system that you got to work to try to get stuff, to get things, to produce things, that's not Christianity. That's another, that's another system. That's another message. So that's not what, what is Christianity? At its core, if we reduced it down, Christianity has been and will always be a call to die. To call to lose our life. To call to die. That's what Jesus said, Luke chapter 9, 23 through 25. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever will hold on to the transient thing, to transient things, whoever will hold on to what is temporary and make our life all about that, you will lose your life. Ultimately, eternally, you lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man? For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or his soul? Look, I am, I am not against having things. We all have things. We all have houses by God's grace and jobs by God's grace and cars by God's grace and everything's by God's grace and there's nothing wrong with having a nice house and having a nice car and, and making good money. None of those things are wrong. But that is not the core of Christianity is figuring out how to get those things and calling that being blessed by God. It's not. It's not Christianity. And there are, there, you know, the prosperity gospel and all of its evil tentacles have influenced mainstream Christian thought in our world today. And you know what happens? You know what happens? What happens is, is that whenever we, we see somebody like Nick that passes away, and we look at the things that were going on in, in his life, we see he had a good job, 
a nice house and a family that loved him. We can think that because he lost all of that, that he lost out on his best life. But you know, the Apostle Paul says, he says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he said, I don't know which one I'm going to choose. If I live, Paul said, it's for your benefit because I get to shepherd you. But if I die, I get to be with Christ. If our best life is now, then heaven's not what we want. If our best life was intended to be now, then heaven is not what we want. We look not to the things that are seen. Our hope is not in this life. Christ didn't die so that we can have a better life here and now. He died so that we can be with him forever in heaven. We need a a return to a healthy doctrine, theological view of heaven, a desire, a desire and a longing to be in heaven. He didn't die so we could have more stuff and a better life here and now. He died so that we can be with him forever in heaven. Our hope is not in the happiness this life brings. And this life brings happiness and joy. I mean, I love my family. I love my kids. I love you. And there's great joy and happiness. But this is not the central core of what it means to be a Christian that we find happiness here and now. These are all, these are all shadows of what is to come. These are all shadows of what God is preparing for us. Our hope is an eternal hope. Our hope is founded upon God's promise that one day we will be with him forever. John 14, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. For we're not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Do you long for that? Lord, I pray that we would long for that more than we long for here and for now. This life is the middle ground. This life with all of its sin and temptation, with all of its suffering and pain, is a daily reminder to us as believers that this life is not our home. They played that beautiful song by Chris Tomlin at Nick's funeral, Home. I loved it. This life is not our home. Our greatest satisfaction was never meant to be found in this life. And I need reminding of that. We all need reminding of that daily. Our greatest satisfaction has always been designed to be found in Christ. Revelation 21 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear As I looked and I saw the tears and the pain on the family's face on Sunday and the funeral on Thursday. And and as, as I see you cry, the tears that you cry through your suffering and your pain, there will be a day where there will be no more tears. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. 
Do you long for that day as I long for it? Former things have passed away. No more mourning, no more pain, no more temptation and sin. Can you imagine a day where we're not tempted? Not tempted to gossip, not tempted to lie, not tempted to lust, not tempted to be greedy, not tempted to be jealous, not tempted to hold unforgiveness in our heart. No more temptation and no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering. The former things have all passed away. So what what do we say to all of that? What do we say to that picture? We say what it says in Revelation 22, 20. He who testifies to these things says... Surely, I am coming quickly. Amen. And what do we say? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. That is our prayer. That's where we stand. Our affliction is temporary. God is at work in that affliction. And in this life, this life, we don't lose heart because this life is not meant to be our best life. Our best life is later. And God's working in the middle of this life as, as, we, as we are good husbands and good wives and fathers and mothers, as we are faithful to bring him glory in this life, he is working in us and preparing in us an eternal weight of glory. And all, all along this life, this crazy life that we live, you know what the singular thing that keeps us motivated and focused is that we have a mission. We have a, we have a calling. We have a mission This is why we exist. So last thing I want to say is this, is that we do not lose heart because the mission is great. We don't lose heart because the mission is great. We can't afford to lose heart. What does it mean to lose heart? So we do not lose heart. That word heart, when it's talking about not losing heart, it's the word courage. It's the word courage. Don't lose your courage. What does the devil want you to do? He wants you to lose your courage in the middle of suffering and pain. He wants you to, 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 to lose your joy, to lose your ability to be courageous for the Lord and to stay on mission. So the Apostle Paul is saying we don't lose courage. We don't lose heart. And as believers, we don't lose heart because we need courage in this life. We need courage in this life to stay on mission. That in the middle of our trials, in the middle of our suffering, we can shine as a beacon of light in the middle of a dark world. And people can look at us and say, I see your pain, I see your mourning, I see your suffering, but there's something about you. There's a peace that you have that I don't have. And the world, apart from peace with Christ, their best life is now. And they don't understand our peace because we know that our best life is later. And so even in the middle of our suffering, we can shine as light. We can stay on mission. We don't lose heart because the mission is great. I want to read a parable to you, Matthew 25. It's the parable of the ten virgins. And Jesus was giving parables about what the kingdom of God is like. And listen to this. It says, in the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since... There will not be enough for us and for you. 
Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, stand guard, be alert, therefore, for you neither, for you know neither the the day nor the hour. There's two thoughts in this context about our mission being great and why we don't lose heart, why we can't afford to lose heart, is that we don't know the day nor the hour. We don't know the day nor the hour of our death, and we don't know the day nor the hour of the coming of the Lord. And so we can't afford to lose heart because the mission is great. We don't know. I don't know when my time is going to come. And, and when I get up here and I preach on Sundays, I want to preach like a man that's ready to die. I want to preach like a man that has a passion to communicate the, the urgent news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you snuck your way in here to our gathering and you're not a part of this church family or maybe you're not a believer, I want to tell you the urgent news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which is this, that parable said, there will be a day when the door is shut. The door is shut. That's another heart of what that parable means. The door will be shut one day and and midnight's going to come. The cry's going to come. The shout's going to come. The Lord will come back. And the door will be shut. You have to be prepared. Are you prepared to meet your maker today? Are you prepared to be with the Lord today? Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? Scripture tells us there is only one way to be in right relationship with the Lord. It's through his son, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice that we thanked him for earlier during the service. Placing your faith in him. We don't know the day nor the hour. The second thing I think about when I think about this parable and our mission is that we must stay ready to be about kingdom business. Amen? Nick's death is not a waste. It's not meaningless. The Lord's going to use it. The Lord's going to use it. And we must stand ready in the middle of suffering and pain to be about kingdom business. To stay ready to keep our lamps trimmed. To have them full of oil. You know, oil can be a picture of the Holy Spirit, but it also can be the picture of light, right? You need oil in your lamp to have light. And so we must always be ready with the light of God's word to speak truth in the darkness. To be about kingdom business. Our enemy, Satan, is seeking to use any means necessary to distract and discourage us from the great mission we've been given as believers. He seeks to use our weaknesses and our trials as a means of causing despair and discouragement. He wants to use whatever he can to get us to lose heart, to think that our suffering is never going to end, to believe that God's removed himself from our situation. He wants us to think those things. But we all, but we can't lose heart because the mission is great. I'm reminded as I, as I conclude here, I'm reminded when Moses died, it was Joshua's time. Joshua had a great challenge to lead millions of people of the nation of Israel. And they weren't an easy people to lead, right? They were complaining and stiff-necked the Bible says and he had a huge challenge in front of him this is what it says in Joshua 1.9 and this is what I want to say to all of us all of us that are struggling with suffering and pain and trial I want you to hear this have I not commanded you be strong 
and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand your feet with me? The Lord is with us wherever we go. So we must take courage. We must take courage. What does it mean to take courage? Courage is something we all need. We don't want to lose heart. We, we, we don't have to lose heart, but we must take courage. To take it means courage is there. Courage is provided from the Lord. So what do we do? We take, we lay hold of it and we take courage as our own. We laid hold of courage and say, I will be courageous in you, Lord. I will not allow the enemy to, to use the situations in my life to cause me to be dismayed and discouraged. But I will take hold of your courage that you've provided for me at the cross. So what I want to do here this morning, we're going to end. And Toby and Tori are going to sing this song. They, they, they sung this at the funeral. It's called Take Courage. So I just want you just to hear the words, listen to the words and sing them from your heart. And I'll be back up and we will close in prayer. Slow down, take time, breathe in, he said, he'd reveal what's to come. The thoughts in his mind, always higher than mine, he'll reveal all to come. Steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. And hold on to your heart as your triumph unfolds. He's never failing. He's never failing. Oh, sing praise, my soul. Find strength in joy Let his words lead you on Do not forget His great faithfulness Finish all he's begun Take courage So take courage, my heart Stay safe He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. And hold on to your heart. your triumph unfolds. He's never failing. He's never failing. Oh, so take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in. Surely keep your 
pray for those that are struggling to hold on to their hope. And I pray that they would hold on and take hold of your courage. Let them be reminded that you hold fast to them. When they're struggling to hold fast to you, Lord, remind us all today that you hold fast to us. You are with us in the middle of our difficult season. I pray for everyone here this morning that is struggling during a, during a dark time of their life and their relationships and their marriage with their kids whatever they may be facing and I, I ask for that you would help us all to look up to look not to the things that are seen but to look to what is eternal to set our affections and our gaze upward to what is eternal and I pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, I love you and you are dismissed.